Um, But let me pray for us now. So would you join me? Lord, in the words of Job, we ask the animals and they teach us. We ask the birds of the air and they tell us. We ask the plants of the earth and they teach us. And the fish of the sea declare to us that in your hand is the life of every living thing and the breath of every human being. God, with you is wisdom and understanding, wisdom and strength. If you tear down, no one can rebuild. If you withhold the waters, they dry up. And if you send them out, they overwhelm the land. God, you make the fools of judges. You lead the priests away stripped. You overthrow the mighty. And you bring out of the deep things in the darkness that need to be brought to light. Lord, for all of this, we give you praise. Because with you is wisdom and power and strength. And so this morning, as we meditate on the story of Job, God, we pray for all of those who've lost their homes because of fire or finances, because of hurricanes or horrors. Lord, we pray for all of those who have lost children, whether they're spiritual or biological, adopted or fostered. God, we pray for all of those who have lost their health. And Lord, we pray for all of those who are on the brink of losing their faith. God, we trust who you are, your character and your faithfulness, your power and your mercy. At least, Lord, we want to trust you. Help us to trust you, God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen, what a gift. Well, good morning. It's great to be with you on Forest, one of the campus pastors here. It's so good to worship God with you together today at Chapel Community Worship. And as you know, we are reading the Bible with Jesus this semester, looking at these overlooked Old Testament stories and seeing what, how we get to know God through them. And last week, Lauren opened up to us the Song of Songs, this beautiful picture of God's desire for us, this incredible desire for us, and how our desires then become rightly ordered as we receive that desire from him. And today, we get to dive in with a tough one. It's one that takes, it's going to be, it's, it's some wrestling. It's a little messy not all neat and tidy, tied up. It's one of those books that, that you can't just touch on and, and move on. You've got to sit with it for a while. So we're going to touch, and then maybe you can keep en- engaging with it beyond today, the book of Job. Job is a book that's, that asks the question, how do we speak rightly about God? How do we speak rightly about God in the midst of suffering? See, there, there are two categories of people in this room. There are those who have faced significant suffering and loss and those who will suffer significant suffering and loss someday. All of us are going to do that. It's part of the human existence. We're going to face that real hard suffering. That's why we're in the round today because for the book of Job, it's a communal book. It's not something you just watch from afar. It's something we're all going to taste and experience. And so we taste and experience it together as a community. And together, we can look to Job And see, what can we say about God in the midst of that suffering? Can we do it? Y'all ready? 
Y'all ready? Besides Steffi? Anyone else ready? <laughs> Steffi's always ready for some scripture. Let's meet Job. Job 1-1. There was once a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. The man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. Introduction to Job. One who feared God and turned away from evil. This is, this is the definition of wisdom in Job. Fearing God and turning away from evil. See it again and again throughout Job. This is what it looks like to be a wise human being who lives rightly, to fear God and turn away from evil. And Job is the ultimate wise person. And not only that, but he goes on to explain how he had seven sons and three daughters and, and oxen and camels and sheep and servants. He was wealthy, and they had a great family life. They would go and have these, these festivals, these uh, celebrations at each kid's house and have these parties. And the next day, Job would, would go and make sacrifices on behalf of his children because he wanted to make sure in case they had sinned, that they would be right with God. So Job was a good dad. They have good family life. He's faithful to God. He's wise. Everything is going right for Job. And Job is doing everything the way he's supposed to do it. All is well with Job. And then we come and see this, this crazy, weird scene. This is one of the ones we, we won't have time to fully unpack. We get this, this, this story of the heavenly throne room and what is going on here. But we see God and these, these heavenly beings, the sons of God who are, are before him, these, these uh, ministers or people who do God's work. And one comes before God, the Satan. We read it as Satan, and we immediately click in most of our brains to, oh, the devil, the evil one, the fallen angel who comes to steal, kill, and destroy but when Jesus was studying and learning the book of Job, that's not who he would have thought of. The Satan was part of this heavenly court. And in the Old Testament, it wasn't linked with this personal evil being fallen angel. It was, this, it was a picture of someone who actually serves God. And the word means the challenger or the accuser, but the challenger. One who going about kind of challenging, and he brings a challenge, actually. We see in verse 8, God says to the Satan... Have you considered my servant Job? There's no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. He's wise. God actually believes in Job. Do you hear that? God's kind of bragging about Job. Is that how we think of our God's character? God looks at us and says, oh, look at my servant. Look at my servant, Zacharias. Look at my servant, Tersa. Look how... They turn away from evil and fear God. It's kind of cool. God's saying that about us, maybe right now. And the Satan then says, answers, says, no, 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 but you don't get it. See, actually, he only does that because you're blessing him. He only does that because if you took away the blessing, he would, these, these people, these human beings, they just, they just do it because they get, they're getting the, the perks. And so God, this, this is one of the mysterious parts about the story. We don't know why, but God says, okay, well then, Take it away and see what happens. And God allows it to happen, and, and then this disaster strikes Job's family, household, everything gets taken. His children die. All his, all his, his sheep and oxen, everything gets stolen. It's disaster. Job tears his, his robe, shaves his head, falls to the ground, worships God still, and doesn't curse God. Well, this Satan comes again and says, well, that's only because these human beings are so selfish. He's only looking out for himself. He doesn't really care about his kids, really. So if, if, he hurt, if you hurt him, then he'll curse you, God. And so God, again, in the mystery, says, all right, I think Job 
actually trust me. So God, so Satan does it, gives him boils all over, and Job then sits in sackcloth and ashes, scraping himself with shards of pottery. And we see in chapter 2, verse 10, his wife says, curse God and die, just be done with it. And Job says, no, I'm not going to do it. I will not curse God. I will not turn away from God. I am going to stay the course. And Job sits there, ripping your clothes and shaving your head and sitting in the dust. It was a way of, of lamenting, saying, God, what is going on? God, no. Ugh. And Job does that without cursing God. And then these friends come into the scene. Three friends. They roll on in. And they do the best thing anyone could possibly do when someone's suffering. They come and they sit down in the sackcloth and ashes and humiliate themselves. They put it on and they sit with them for seven days. They sit with them and they keep their mouth shut and they just sit with them in the loss. What a beautiful picture of how we can care for people in their loss and suffering. And then Job, Job speaks and he speaks, he, said, and he, he opens up his mouth in chapter 3 and says, God, I curse the day that I was born. If only I weren't ever born. Now here's the interesting, the interesting thing as you read Job. I think one of the keys to, to, to learning and reading Job rightly is to go to, to Job chapter 42, verse 7, the almost very end. God comes to Job, talks to him. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. But then God says to these three friends, he actually rebukes them. He says, my wrath is kindled against you, for you have not spoken what is right, as my servant Job has. It's crazy. So as Job says these things in, in this book, and things that maybe we wouldn't feel so comfortable saying to God, God says, Job is doing good. So Job, in the midst of this horrible loss, everything around him has been destroyed, everything he loves and cares about. He says, God, I wish I would die. But even in that wishing I would die, he's trusting God as the author of life to hold his life in the midst of his sorrow. And God says, this is a good thing that Job does, bringing his, his deep despair and hurt straight to God and saying, ah, Job has spoken what is right. Do you feel that way about God? Can you come to God like that? Ah! Because God would say, that's right. Well, these friends, they were doing great. Remember here? They were doing great. And then Job speaks, and they make their first big mistake. Ah! They open their mouth, and things go downhill fast. Because these friends... They have this great box they've, they've built, in case you didn't realize that what that was. They have this great box, and their box, and God fits really neatly in their box. They're, God fits really neatly in here, and here's how their God works. You know I'm an engineer, engineering major, you know, you've got to bring it every once in a while. Their God works like this. Andrew, you're going to like this. Put in a certain value for X, get something out for Y. Really easy. Put in one for X, Y is three right? Easy. Put in good, good works in your life, God will bless you. Put in evil, God will curse you. It's as simple as that. God fits in my box. Well, Job, bad things are happening to you. Why? Because you... <laughs> I'll be here all week. 
I'll be here all week because clearly you sinned. You sinned. That's why this has happened to you. It just makes sense. And so for the next 27 chapters, I'll give you a little cliff notes here to save you some time. They go back and forth discussing this. The friends again and again saying, Job, you know the equation. You know how God's the box. You obviously have sinned. It's your fault. Wake up, repent, and let God start blessing you again. And see, Job had, had a box view of God too. This is, what, this is what Job thought too about God, but a little thicker, we'll find out. But Job, see, he has a problem now because Job knows that he didn't put sin in. He didn't do anything. And so he's saying, he says, no, 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 wait, I didn't, though I didn't do anything to deserve this. I didn't do anything to merit this happening to me. This is not what I deserved. And, he, and so there's this roller coaster that Job goes on, up and down, all over the place. It's so hard to figure out what is, what's even true here. But we know, we, don't worry about the truth of you know, what he's saying about uh, this is exactly true about God. What we see is a human being wrestling with God, with all of his emotions, his ups and downs. Ah, oh, God, but God, I didn't deserve this. And God, why are you doing this? And God, this doesn't make sense. And, then, and why are you, my friends, accusing me, telling me, I know all that stuff. I know the box. Don't tell me I'm a, I'm a loser. I feel bad enough. Can't you tell? But then he also says, oh, wait, but God, you're amazing, and you're the creator, and you're loving. But why did you do this? Because this circle, up and down, roller coaster, Job is on. He's conflicted. He doesn't know what to do. And then there's this, this, this moment. I, and I, I that's an amazing book by Gustavo Gutierrez this week of our, as I prepared for this sermon. And it talks about reading the book of Job from the perspective of Latin American, uh, those who are oppressed in Latin America. And that picture for me helped me see some things in Job I'd never seen before. And one of them was that in, verse, in chapters 29 to 31, the pinnacle, the, the, the end of Job's, Job's defense uh, of himself he starts to see something different. See, Job did a great job of caring for those around him. He was a righteous man. And so he cared for the widow and the orphan and the, the, the foreigner in his midst. And we see his final defenses. He starts saying, wait, I cared for the widow and the orphans. I did that. And you see maybe in Job's mind, something's clicking. But they were widows and orphans and strangers, but not because they did anything wrong. Maybe, actually, God loved them, just like I love them, and yet life was really hard for them. Maybe God doesn't fit in my box the way I thought it was, but I've experienced that through my interactions with this orphans and the widows and the poor. Hold on a second. Well, Job starts the journey. He doesn't quite get there. Well, then we have this little interlude with Elihu, this young, this young whippersnapper who comes in and tries to tell, tell Job how it all works. And the friends, you guys are terrible. You guys can't convince him. And he says some good things. You can check it out yourself. And then we get to, but still, he's a box guy. He still has his box. Of God's still in the box. Maybe a little, little bigger box, but still there. Then chapter 38. Chapter 38, something crazy happens. There's a whirlwind, and God spoke to Job out of the whirlwind. The Lord answered Job 
out of the whirlwind. We could easily just skip right past that. So we just go, was it past? Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. God, you know, God answered. No, no, no. God didn't have to answer. God didn't have to come to, I mean, this creature, this little piddly whatever creature, this God, if you just start with that, that first throne room scene, you think, God doesn't really care about people. God just kind of playing with them as toys. But that's not the God who comes in the whirlwind and answers and says, I care, Job, about you and your, and your hurt and loss and wrestling, and I want you to know me. God answers Job out of the whirlwind and comes to him, and in that we see some of God's character. See, God is not a conditional God. Put in A, get out B. God, but God is a God of character. And we're going to start seeing that even more. I love this, with God's first words to Job. Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Gird up your loins like a man. I will question you, and you shall declare to me, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. And God goes on for two chapters to talk about all the amazing things that he's made, his reign over creation, the stars and the clouds and everything we see, and then, then the mountain goats and the, the ostriches and the wild ox, all these, and the horse, God's ruler, being the ruler over creation. This God has character, and part of his character is its power. This God is powerful. And he demands a response from Job, and Job says, oh, I get it. It says, I, I, verse chapter, chapter 40, verse 3, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I've spoken once, but I won't speak anymore. Answer twice, but I will proceed no further. Job says, I get it, God. You're powerful. I, 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 you're God. I'm not. And again, God could have stopped there easily. Just said, okay, he got it. He's a creature. He doesn't get to question me. Done. God could have stopped there, but God had more of his character to make known. And he does it in, the, the, I think, a hilarious way. God chooses to then highlight these two random animals, the behemoth and the leviathan. It's great. I read it. It's just it's hilarious. And the, the behemoth, it seems like this giant hippopotamus, I think. That's my, that's my picture anyway. This giant hippopotamus. I mean, hippopotamus is, you know, the most deadly animal in Africa, right? It's hippo, not a lion, all right? Don't mess with the hippo. They have, these, they have you ever seen a hippo's jaw? It's like, you know, it's giant. It's amazing. Okay, so the hippo and then this leviathan, this giant crocodile dragon-type creature lives in the, in the water. And God says, see these things? I made them. I feed them. I care for them. They play in the seas and in places. And what is, what is he telling that to Job? Here's what I think. I think that God's saying to Job, Two things. One is, this world's not all about you. This universe, there are a lot of things I've made that have nothing to do with you, that are great and beautiful and good. I am the Lord of this world, not you. A reminder of where Job is in his right place. But then the second thing, I think he's, he's reminding something else. I delight in the behemoth and those amazing hippo teeth. And I delight in the Leviathan and the cool scales on its back. How much more do I delight in you? As Jesus said about the sparrows, how much more does God delight in us? His image bearers, if he cares about the Leviathan and the behemoth and feeds them and cares for them. 
See, this God is not a conditional God of the box that we can just hold like this, but it is, he is a God of character. And the character that God chooses in grace to reveal to Job is he is a God who is powerful and a God who is merciful, a God of loving power that we see in the book of Job. Van, come on up. We see this finally, of course, most clearly in Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 2, we see this. It was fitting that God, for whom and through whom all things exist, in bringing many children to glory, should make the pioneer of their salvation, Jesus, perfect through sufferings. And so, this God, the God that Job met, the God of power and mercy that Job that made himself known to Job. This God has made himself known even more clearly in Jesus Christ. And in Jesus Christ, God has come into our suffering, taken on human flesh, tasted betrayal, suffering, loss, death, hell on our behalf. This God has entered into our suffering. So where, what can we say about God in the midst of suffering? We know a God who doesn't fit in our box, our conditional box of A plus B equals C, of maybe our American box. If I work hard, you know, God helps them who helps themselves. That's not in the Bible. But God is a God of character. We don't tame, we don't, we don't put God in our box but we get to surrender to him knowing that he is a loving, powerful God who has suffered with us and for us in Jesus Christ. Let's stand and sing to that God together. And so Whitworth received this benediction. Go from here knowing the God who doesn't fit in our boxes. Let's free him from that and free ourselves from the lie that we can control God. Go from here knowing the God who's much better than this God of the box. A God who has come to us in Jesus. A God of character, of love and power, who comes into our suffering with us, meets us there, and invites us to trust him no matter what may come. Go and trust and serve that God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.